You know, a lot has changed in the American workplace since the COVID pandemic, hasn't it? And we hear these new phrases, right? We hear about remote work, people working from home, and we hear about quiet quitting, uh, people who are leaving their jobs. And just the culture and expectations around work in our country have changed and, and in many ways are in chaos today. Some people are worried about AI taking over their jobs, and others are stressed about increased commutes, work hours, lower salary, benefits. We have a shortage of skilled laborers in our country. Electricians, these people with the hammers that are helping to build our houses, plumbers, things of that nature. Some companies are selling off unused office space because they don't have employees or they're working from home. Others are trying to find ways to entice or force their employees to come back to the office. Politicians debate minimum wage rates and health care benefits, and statistics show us that while unemployment rates may be down, non-participation rates in the workforce are actually up, meaning there are lots of people out there not working, and they're not looking for a job. And at the same time, you have others who are having to take on multiple jobs, working full-time and part-time jobs just to try to put food on the table. Health experts warn us about unhealthy work habits. You know, we're sitting in our desks too long. We're not taking enough days off. We're going to work even when we're sick. And these often lead to depression and burnout. There is obviously an unhealthy balance in our country between work and rest, between labor and leisure. Now, I guess one solution could be to find a job that would pay you to rest, right? to find a job that would pay you to actually sleep. Well, if that sounds good to you, the Casper Mattress Company might just be the place for you to work. They were recently looking for someone to work part-time who has, quote, exceptional sleeping ability. Anybody in here have exceptional sleeping ability? And the purpose of the job would be to demonstrate to the public how easy it is to get a restful sleep on a Casper mattress. So, among the special skills for the job, Casper sought someone who could sleep anytime, anywhere. Any of those in here? Uh, the candidate must want to sleep as much as possible and be able to sleep through anything. Now, I know some of you, if you need a reference on that, I can, I can give you a reference because I watch you on Sundays. Who wouldn't want a job where you could go to work in your pajamas and where sleeping on the job wasn't just allowed, it's required, right? I mean, it sounds like the perfect job. But seriously, we do need a reset in this country when it comes to the work-life balance. We need a new rhythm. Actually, we need to go back to an old rhythm. The rhythm that God established when He created the world. A rhythm between work and rest. Work, rest, Repeat. It's the title of today's sermon. You know, a lot of people fall into one of these two extremes. Uh, you either overwork to the point you neglect your health or your family, or you're just a lazy bum that doesn't want to do anything. And you're not contributing, you're not providing, you're not earning anything. You're either a workaholic or a bum. Those are kind of the two extremes. And the Bible tells us that both are not just equally unhealthy, they're equally sinful. They're wrong. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis 2, we're going to look at a few verses here as the basis, going here back to the beginning again, back to the origins, to Genesis, to learn some truth that can help us in our lives. So Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, So the heavens and the earth 
and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed His work and He had done uh, the work He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. God blessed the seventh seventh day and declared it holy, for on it He rested from all His work of creation. Now look down at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the amazing foundational truths that we've been uh, studying here in just the first three chapters of Your Word. God, the point is to so many of the issues and the things that we deal with in our lives today, so many of the questions people have, so much of the confusion in our world, and right here at the very beginning, we find the answers. We pray that Your Spirit would continue to illuminate Your Word and to enlighten our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from the very beginning, we see that God created a world in which, in which both work and rest are sacred. This is an essential balance, this rhythm for how God operates and how He created the world and us to operate. So let's look first at the sacredness of work. The sacredness of work. Sadly, many people today see work as a drudgery. Work is something you have to do so you can do the things you want to do, right? We, we have sort of a working for the weekend kind of mentality uh, in our country. You know, we dread Mondays and we love Fridays, right? Someone once commented, no wonder modern man is plagued by boredom when he flees from the drudgery of work to the meaninglessness of leisure. Dorothy Sayers points to work as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. She says, work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. But to our modern mind, that seems backwards. How do you view your work? Chuck Colson tells the story of a man long ago who visited a stone quarry and he found these three different men that were just you know, chipping away at the rock. And he went to the first one and he asked what he was doing. And the man irritably said, Can't you see? I'm cutting a stone. He went to a second man and asked the same question. He said, Well, I'm earning $100 a week. And he went to the third man and he said, I am building a cathedral. That was a man who understood the value of his work, what it was he was contributing to. How do you view your work? Is it just a necessary evil that puts bread on the table? Is it your plan for building up your bank account or your retirement portfolio? Is it merely a means to an end of a leisurely life? Or is it how you work to contribute to the good of the world and for the glory of God? If we're honest, it's probably a little bit of all of the above, right? We've got to put food on the table. We want to have a good time. But we also want to do something that's meaningful. So let's look and think about what it is that makes work sacred. Three things here. First, God commenced a valuable work. In Genesis 1, we see God at work, creating. Genesis 1 is full of all these action verbs. God is creating, seeing, separating, calling, naming, making, placing, blessing, completing. God is doing a lot of stuff in Genesis 1. God, in many ways, is the first worker, the first person to work. Jesus said in John 5, 17, My Father is still working, 
and I am also working. Several times Jesus says in the Gospels that He came to serve. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus spent three years of ministry working. He was healing. He was feeding. He was casting out demons. He was preaching and teaching. God commenced a valuable work when He created the world and when He purchased our redemption. Amen? He commenced a valuable work. Secondly, God commanded a vocational work. We see in Genesis 2 that God created Adam to tend the ground. He put him in the garden to tend to it, to work it, to manage and name the animals. Work is not first seen in Genesis 3 after sin. A lot of people think that work is a part of the curse of sin and that God didn't mean for us to work or that in heaven we're not going to work. That's wrong. God created us to work. It's in our DNA. In fact, it's part of how we display the image of God. When people see you working, they are seeing you reflect the God who works. God who is busy doing good things. Now, because of our sin, work has become laborious, hasn't it? And, and, and God explains in Genesis 3 how our labor will be painful. We now have thins, uh, thistles and thorns that we have to deal with that make our work harder. He says we will eat bread by the sweat of our brow. So yes, our work is, is made worse because of the curse of sin, but work is something God created us to do and it's something God commands us. To do Now, we're going to look in a little bit in the second half of this sermon at the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But what a lot of people fail to see is that buried in this commandment to rest and remember the Sabbath day is another commandment, a commandment to work. Look at Exodus 29. You are to labor six days and do all your work. Right there. Hidden in that command to rest is a command and an expectation to work. In the New Testament, Jesus often used work in His parables, revealing to us, again, this expectation that citizens of God's kingdom shouldn't be lazy. We should be hard at work. Jesus instructed us to pray for God to send laborers into the harvest field with the understanding that, guess what? We are those laborers. We're the ones to be busy at work sharing the gospel and making disciples. Paul commanded people to work with their own hands so they'd have food to eat in 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Now, notice he doesn't say able to work. So I want to make sure you understand that. He's not talking about people who are incapable of working. For whatever reason, they're unable to work. He says if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They're not busy, but busy bodies. Now, we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. God commands us to work for a living, to earn the food that we need for ourselves and our families. But third, God commended the virtues of work. God doesn't want us just to work out of a sense of obligation. He wants us to work with joy. He wants us to work from a sense of purpose and fulfillment. He wants us to do our best at our jobs for His glory and for our own good. In Colossians 3.23, Paul says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Do it because you mean it. 
as something done for the Lord and not for other people. So even when you're working, you're not doing it for your employer. You're not doing it for your customers. You're doing it for the Lord. And you should do it with all your heart. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength. Do it with all your might. The Bible teaches us that when we work, we should do our best. We should do a good job. And that there are great benefits when we do that. When we work with all, our, all of our might for God's glory, the Bible t- teaches us there are great rewards and benefits that we will reap for ourselves, for our families, for our community. So let's think about the benefits of work. We've just looked at the sacredness of work. What makes work sacred? Because God commenced it. God commanded it. God commends it. But then what are the benefits of work for us? Three of those I want to share. The first is pretty basic, provision. Provision. We work to provide the necessities for life, right? To keep the the lights on, to keep the A.C. going in the summers and the heat in the winter, to keep the water flowing and the food on the table and clothes on our back. We work for the necessities and for some wants, right? I mean, there's some wants, some things we like to do and enjoy doing. But this isn't just a given. This isn't just a, well, yeah, duh, David, of course, we, we work to provide. It's also a way that we show people we belong to Jesus. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty serious. Paul says a true Christian should not be lazy. We should work to provide for our families. This is one of the reasons we work. It's one of the benefits of an honest day's labor is that we are providing for our family, for those that we love, that we care about, for those that God has entrusted to us. Proverbs 12:11 says, "The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense." Stop daydreaming. Stop playing around and get to work. Work to provide for your family and for yourself. But secondly, another benefit is similar to that. It's profit. Now, listen to me. Profit is not a dirty word, okay? Profit is not, you know, it's more than four letters. It's not a four-letter word, right? But in today's society, profit is often seen as as a negative, as, as a nasty thing. In fact, Winston Churchill, so this isn't something new, Winston Churchill said that it's socialism that has made profit a vice He said that the real vice is making losses. That making gains, making profit is a good thing. Profit is simply the fair, just reward for your labor or your investment. That's what it is. The fair, just reward for your labor or your investment. The Bible talks about profit. Proverbs 14.23 says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. So we don't work just to provide for the basics of life. We work so we can enjoy our lives. We work so we can experience the pleasure of doing a good job and earning an honest living and so we can share from our bounty with others. Listen, without profit, there's no generosity. Profit is what enables us to give to the Lord, to give to His church to be a part of blessing and sharing our bounty with other people. If you're only making enough money to keep the lights on and put food on the table, you don't have much money to be generous with. Amen? 
God wants us to earn profit so we can share it with other people. So we work to provide the basics. We work for profit to enjoy and to share with others. And third, we work for a purpose. There is more to work than just earning a paycheck. In fact, when, when polled, workers rank job satisfaction high on the list of the things that motivate them and that keep them coming to work and, and, and want them to do a good job, keeps them happy in their job, is that job satisfaction, that sense of purpose, that sense of value that you feel because of your work. Just before Paul's admonition that those who don't work don't eat, he talked about the example that he and those who are there with him on his missionary journey, the example they were setting for the Thessalonians. He says in 2 Thessalonians... That word always messes me up. 2 Thessalonians 3.8 says, We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So apparently... The church in Thessalonica was, was dealing with a lot of people who weren't working but were freeloading. There were apparently a lot of bums that, that, and idle busybodies that were plaguing the church in Thessalonica. So Paul has to write these instructions and give these commands about work and demonstrate that work gives value, not just monetarily speaking. He talks about having pride in your work. He talks about the knowledge of knowing that you're not dependent merely on the kindness of others. And again, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we do need help. And there are people who legitimately need help. But if you can work, you should work. If you can, you should. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Let me say that one again, maybe. Some of us need to hear that, right? Mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Work. It's sacred. There are great benefits to it. It's the first half of the rhythm of life. But just as it's critical to not neglect the sacredness of work, it's also critical to not forget the blessings of the Sabbath. So the second half of this rhythm is the gift of Sabbath rest. Charles Spurgeon explained in one of his sermons this connection between work-life balance. Uh, He said, No man can always work with the same intense activity. I do not believe that God intended that any man should do so. Rest is a necessity of feebleness. In other words, we are feeble and frail. We're human beings. We're creatures. We're not the Creator. We don't have omnipotent, endless power and ability like God does. We need rest. He said, look at nature. How active it is in the spring. How the buds leap into verdure. Observe how active all things are in summer. But nature begins to relax somewhat of its vigor as autumn bronzes the leaves of the forest, while in winter vegetation sleeps, and the sap, instead of circulating rapidly through the tree, retires into the center and slumbers a while. Yet who shall say that the months of winter are wasted? No. During the winter months, the vegetable world is gathering needed strength for another spring and summer and autumn. God has baked it right into how the universe works. This rhythm of work and rest. There's spring and summer, but then there's autumn and there's winter. 
The Ten Commandments show us just how seriously God takes this work-rest rhythm. When you think about it, it's kind of amazing. That God considers up there taking a day off with don't kill somebody. Pretty good. He puts taking a day off up there with don't commit adultery and don't lie and don't worship a false god. God takes this seriously. Now, the word Sabbath, of course, you know, we know it means day of rest, but it comes from the Hebrew word for the num- from the number seven. Uh, so, the seventh day of creation, God rested. The Sabbath day, the day of rest. Ironically, it occurred to me, this is the seventh sermon in the sermon series. So, I just didn't plan that. It just worked out that way. Now, we need to understand, God did not rest on the seventh day because He was tired. God didn't wear Himself out, Right? He rested as an example for us. He rested because He created the world to work by this rhythm, the six days on, one day off. And He created us to live in the six and one rhythm. But keeping the Sabbath day is far more than this legalistic rule following. Okay? In fact, Jesus helps us to understand that the Sabbath isn't just a command. It's a gift. He said in, Matthew, in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not about just keeping the law. It's not about legalism. It's about a gift. It's for our benefit that God gave us the Sabbath. So what are some of those benefits that can help us as busy, modern-day, on-the-go people? A few things. One, Sabbath reminds us of our identity. Our identity. Ask yourself, why do you sometimes find yourself so stressed out and stretched out and burned out and overextended? Why does that happen? I think it's because we forget who we are. I mean, really, this issue, like everything else we've talked about, goes back to worldview. It goes back to those underlying truths that you base your life on. Wrong beliefs always lead to wrong behaviors. We talked about this when we preached through what we believe as Southern Baptist uh, about this time last year. Wrong beliefs will lead to wrong behavior. And when we have a wrong understanding of who we are, when we're answering those essential questions about who am I, why am I here, where did I come from, where am I going, when we answer those wrong, that's going to result in wrong behavior like being out of balance, out of rhythm with this work-rest rhythm that God has created us to live by. People mistakenly think that they have to prove themselves and they do it by overworking. They're worried that if they take time off, they're going to look lazy. They see busyness as some sort of badge of honor. And, and, and I'm just as guilty. People ask me, say, David, how's it going at church? You know what my, my normal go-to answer is? Oh, things are busy. How's church going? Oh, it's busy. What you been doing these days, David? Oh, all kinds of stuff. You know, it just, it just, it just comes out because it kind of, we think that it makes us look important. It makes us look good. And, and we want to feel important, right? We want to feel like we're essential and we're needed, like people couldn't handle things without us. But man, talk about thinking too highly of yourself, right? You ever done that? Listen, I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna drop some very humbling but freeing truth on you real quick, okay? Here's the first. Everything does not depend on you. doesn't. Yes, someone else can do it as well as you can. That's a hard one, but it's true. No, everything won't fall apart if you're not there. 
These are humbling to realize, but they're freeing. They're liberating as well. When God created Adam and Eve, okay, He created them in His own image, right? I think we've established that at this point. God looked at them and He said that they were very good. Now, what had Adam and Eve done to deserve that kind of high praise from God? Everything else God made, God said, good, good, good. Made Adam and Eve very good. What had they done to earn that? Nothing. Not a single thing. The world was made without your help or input. Or mine, right? It was made without Adam and Eve's help or input. And its continued existence doesn't depend on us either. You don't make the world go round. Jesus is the one who sustains the world by His powerful Word, not you and me. Right? God declared Adam and Eve very good before they ever lifted a finger in work, before they ever accomplished anything of value. And that truth reminds us that our worth and our value aren't dependent on what we do, but simply on who we are as people created in God's image for whom Jesus died on the cross because He loves us so much. That's where our worth and value come from. Now let's skip ahead a little bit to the book of Exodus, to the children of Israel fleeing the Egyptian empire. Now the Egyptian empire is a place where your worth and value was all about what you owned and what you did and what you accomplished and who you knew. That's what it was all about there. And as God delivered Israel from slavery, He knew that it was going to be harder to get Egypt out of Israel than it was to get Israel out of Egypt. And so God is going to put some laws in place. We call some of them the Ten Commandments. These laws in place to help ensure that Israel's not going to revert back to the old ways of Egypt. Because they had been there for 400 years. That was the culture that they were enmeshed in. And God was trying to get that worldliness out of them. So one of God's first commands to Israel comes long before they get to Mount Sinai, long before the Ten Commandments. They're in the desert. And they're complaining because they're hungry, right? And they start bemoaning the fact, that, oh, in Egypt we had big pots of meat we could sit around and eat. Pots of meat. That just doesn't sound appealing to me, but pots of meat to eat around, right? And so they're complaining about it. So what does God do? He provides them with manna, this mysterious bread from heaven. And God tells them that if they don't hoard it, if they don't take extra they will have exactly what they need. In fact, if they do try to take a little bit extra, the next day it's spoiled. But even if they go out there and just collect a little bit, it's plenty of them for their family for the next day. And on Friday, they could prepare double the amount, collect and prepare double the amount, so they would have something to eat on the Sabbath day, on the day of rest. So God has already instituted a Sabbath day for Israel before we even get to the Ten Commandments. Because it's not about... Jewish law, it's about how God created the world to work. He created the Sabbath day in Genesis chapter 2. He's giving in, in the early chapters of Exodus the Sabbath day to the children of Israel long before He issues the command at Mount Sinai. In fact, He tells them, gather only as much as you need. And He promised to take care of everyone. God instituted the Sabbath law in the Ten Commandments for the same reason. It's more than just about setting aside a day to do no work, although that's important. It's more than just having a day to worship, though that's important. It's about making sure that they resisted the old ways of Egypt. Sabbath is about remembering whose we are and who we are. 
Sabbath is about remembering that God's ways are not the world's ways. It sets us apart and helps us to keep our focus in the right place. As bearers of God's image, you and I are of infinite worth and value to God. Not because of what we do, but because of who we are. As believers, it's because of who we are as His children in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the second blessing of Sabbath rest. It helps us to prioritize being over doing. Because as important and sacred as work is, our tendency is to idolize good things, right? We take something good that God has made, we turn it into an idol. And we do that with our work. Because again, it instills with us this false sense of value this false sense of, of importance and of work. We, we start to work because we want the praise of people rather than the praise of God, right? Am I right? I mean, we do this. I know I do this. I mean, listen, I, I, I preach these sermons and, and I prepare these sermons prayerfully because I want to bring glory to God. But when somebody compliments me on that sermon, it, it's kind of hard to not let it go to my head sometimes, which is why God gave me Julian Abbey to keep me humble, right? To... And so... We do that. We tend to idolize our work. So we tend to prioritize doing over being. Not that the doing is important. I just spent half the sermon talking about why the doing is important. But we tend to idolize it and to elevate it over the being. So look with me at Mark chapter 1. This will be up on the screen. Mark chapter 1. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Before Jesus preached the first sermon, before he worked the first miracle, long before he died on the cross and rose victorious from the grave, the Father was already well pleased with him. Just like with Adam and Eve, before they did a single thing, they were declared very good. God the Father said that Jesus was His beloved Son and He was well pleased with Him. Sabbath reminds us that God loves us. He's pleased with us, not for the trophies and medals we win, not for the paycheck that we bring home, not for what we accomplish, but simply because of who we are, created in His image, loved by Him as believers redeemed in Jesus Christ. God is very pleased. So Sabbath reminds us that being a child of God, being a member of our family, being a member of this church family is much more important than simply what we can accomplish for them, right? You are more than your job. You are more than what you do in this church because you are a child of the King. But third and finally, Sabbath is God's antidote for burnout. And burnout is a real problem in this country. Burnout in, in a number of fields. Burnout in, in ministry is a huge problem. Pastors are leaving churches left and right because of ministry burnout. God gives us the Sabbath to help prevent that from happening. You know, a sheet of music, if, if you know how to read music, has more than just notes that you should play. It also includes rhythm and timing. And even these little symbols called rests to tell you when you should play and shouldn't play, when you're supposed to sing and when you're not supposed to sing. And it's the difference between making music and just making noise. 
And I know when I've been in choirs before, and I think about like you know the community choir at Advent, uh, one of the things that uh, that Bill would have to to get onto us about was not paying attention to those rests, right? And so everybody would cut off, but then I'd be still here going, oh, you know, whatever. Oop, I'm not supposed to be singing right now. I'm supposed to be resting. Even Jesus took regular time to get away, to pray, to be still and be quiet. In fact, he would leave a town, still people there that needed to be healed. But he would leave because he knew he needed to get away and rest and be refreshed and be refocused with time with his Father. Listen, if Jesus, being God in human flesh, needed to get away and rest, how dare you think that you don't? You and I certainly need time to rest. If Jesus did. There's a story. I've told this story once before. Uh, This man challenged another to an all-day wood-chopping contest. And the challenger worked very hard. He stopped only for a lunch break. But the other man, he had a leisurely lunch. And he took several rests throughout the day. And at the end of the day, the challenger was surprised and more than a little annoyed that the man he challenged that took all those breaks ended up chopping far more wood than he did. And said to him, said, I don't get it. Every time I check, you were taking a rest. Yet you chopped more wood than I did. And the winning woodsman answered, but you didn't notice that I was sharpening my axe when I was resting. Listen, Sabbath rest gives us time to sharpen our axes, to refresh our souls, to refocus our minds. It gives us a, a weekly reset for our bodies. Now, a question that comes up about the Sabbath is when is it? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Is it Friday? When when is the Sabbath day? And the answer simple is it doesn't matter as long as it's one day a week. Now, hear me out. I, I truly think God doesn't care when you get your downtime in as long as you do it regularly. Jews obviously observe the Sabbath day from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That's when they celebrate the Sabbath. For Christians, we observe it on Sunday, and we call it the Lord's Day out of celebration and recognition that Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday, on the first day of the week. But did you know there's not a single verse in the New Testament that commands us to rest on Sundays? Not a one. In fact, the early church observed both Saturday as the Sabbath day and Sunday as the Lord's day. They rested on Saturday and they gathered together for worship on Sunday. God doesn't command us to rest on Sundays. Gather together and worship? Yes. So I believe Sunday is the perfect day for us to gather together, to rest, to refocus, to start the week worshiping the risen Savior. And that's why Sunday eventually became the day for Christian worship and rest. But, but some people have to work on Sundays. I get it. I work on Sundays. <laughs> I understand uh, and maybe for you, Sunday is not the best day for you to rest. And maybe you come here to church and then you've got to go to work when you get done with work. It's obviously not a day of rest for you that day. Well, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2. He says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You may remember that Jesus was once asked about where people should worship God. And Jesus said, the place doesn't matter as much as the attitude, right? 
Worship Him in spirit and in truth. I think this is Paul's way of saying that the day doesn't really matter. What matters is you do it in Christ. You do it with a focus on Jesus. It's Jesus that matters, not the place, not the time. In Romans chapter 14, Paul said, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So again, what is important is that we do not neglect to gather ourselves together in weekly worship, fellowship, and time in the Word. That's what Hebrews tells us, that we should not neglect the gathering together of ourselves. We should come together regularly to worship as one body in spirit and in truth, encouraging one another on toward love and good deeds, especially as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. And it's important that we take regular time to rest. I think it's also wise to maybe take a week or two every now and again to get out of town, to get away, to take your family, to retreat fully from the daily grind. You know, even in the Old Testament, there, were, there was a Sabbath year. There were religious feasts and festivals throughout uh, the Old Testament that required days that weren't Saturday, days of no work. Seasons, prolonged times, a week of no work. And so I think it's good for us sometimes to really get away and retreat so we can enjoy God's creation and do something meaningful with family and friends and refocus on Him and rest. You know, Dr. Leonard Dupree, uh, I heard him say more than once that if, if God doesn't get one day a week from you, He'll get it from you eventually sometime. It may be all at once, right? So sometimes... Our sicknesses sometimes, the difficulty we go through, may be God's way of forcing us to take a break, to take a rest. And doctors tell us people who regularly take time off and rest tend to be healthier, tend to have less stress, tend to be more well-adjusted. And some of us need some work on being more well-adjusted. Amen? We need to take some time away. Rest, refresh, recharge. Now, my sense of us as a church family is that we have a harder time taking time off to rest and recharge and refocus than we do working hard instead of being slackers. Just looking around this room, not a lot of... Nobody. Let me say that. Nobody's a slacker in here, okay? I don't want to say not a lot of us are slackers if people start... Wow, I start elbowing their husbands. He's talking about you. Rather, if you're like me, you find it hard to take time to rest. It's hard to take a break. Um, and listen, I get it. There are seasons. There are seasons in which that's harder than others. There may be where you work. Maybe your job. Maybe you own a business. And there are just certain times of the year where it's going to be hard. You've got to put in more time during this time. You think about accountants and people who do taxes. Right now is their busy season, right? It's a little harder to get that time off right now. You can make up for that at other times in the year, though. And, and there certainly are seasons where, where you know, I'm, I've got some church event on Saturday and there's church and meetings on Sunday and then I'm going, you know, you know, 90 miles to nothing throughout the week, Monday through Friday and nighttime meetings and Wednesday night church and different things, hospital visits and things like that. There are those seasons for me where it's really busy. And I might go weeks before I actually have a chance to kind of just blow off some steam and, and, and take a break from it all. And I'll tell you this, and my, my, my wife can attest to it, I'm a different person in those seasons. There's a certain level of tension, maybe a little bit of grumpiness. I certainly am not as clear in making my decisions. Uh, I find myself having to work a little bit harder 
at my sermon preparation, but when I can take that opportunity to get away, to take a day off, I tell you, it makes a difference. And I come back the next day, and my head is clearer, and I'm more energized, and I'm more ready to get back in the saddle again. Amen? You probably understand what I'm talking about. Is the pace of your life sustainable? Seriously. What are the things right now that are making you tired, anxious, stressed out? What do you need to change in your life to make your rhythm more sustainable so that you make music and not noise? Maybe God is convicting you this morning to make some concrete changes in your schedule, in your priorities to start saying no to some things. Anybody else have a hard time saying no? Putting limits on other things. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do today. To prioritize time with your family, to focus on your health, to be more faithful in worshiping with God's people on Sundays. But maybe God is speaking to you today about a different kind of work, life, and balance. I want you to listen to me. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Some people think that they can work hard enough to earn their way into God's good grace. That they can be good enough, they can learn enough Bible, they can give enough money, they can attend enough church services, they can do enough good deeds to earn forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. But I want you to hear me. The truth is there is no amount of work you can ever, ever do to earn God's love or favor. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to ever earn heaven. This is one area in which work is worthless. Rather, the only way, the only way that you can have a right relationship with God is by resting, by completely resting in God's grace and in the work that Jesus Christ has already done for you. The reason there's no work you can do to earn God's love and favor, Jesus has already done it. Jesus came and lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. He laid in that grave and rose victorious three days later. He did all of the work that's necessary for you to be forgiven of your sins and have a right relationship with God and have an eternal home in heaven. Jesus did the work. All we can do is rest in it. Receive it for the gift that it is. In fact, the Bible tells us For you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The only thing that you can't work to earn, the only thing that you can't work to ever provide for yourself is salvation. Because Jesus has already done that. It's a gift to be freely received. In fact, Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. The only thing you and I can earn is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You heard our New Testament reading that Jesus tells us to come, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and He will give us rest. Maybe you have been laboring under this misconception that somehow you can earn your way into heaven. This morning I invite you to come and lay that burden down because it's a futile effort. You'll never get there. Come today. Receive the rest, the grace, the mercy that Jesus Christ provided for you. If that's you this morning, if you know in your heart that you need to stop striving and you need to just receive God's grace by faith, I invite you to come this morning.
and know that you belong to Jesus. Know that He forgives you of your sin and He comes to dwell within you. If you need to come and rest in His grace, I invite you to do that today. Whatever God is laying on your heart, maybe just right where you're standing, you need to say a prayer and commit yourself to to taking some time to rest regularly. Maybe you need to pray and commit yourself to having a better attitude at work. Maybe you're on the other end of this. And and you are struggling with with the right attitude toward work. And you say, I I don't want to work for my boss. I want to work for the Lord. Maybe just where you're standing, you could say a prayer and commit yourself to that. This altar is open if you need to come and spend some time with God here. Whatever the Spirit of God is leading, maybe you're not with this church family. I pray that you'd be obedient to what God says to you today. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice and are so grateful that you have provided for us salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, peace and joy and fulfillment that we can never, ever do enough work to earn. You've given it to us. Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to receive that gift by faith, I pray they would do that today. They would give their hearts and their lives to You and find rest in Christ from their guilt and their grief, from their hurts and their bad habits, from their their faults and their failings, God. They can find rest in Jesus. If there's anyone here that needs to do that this morning, God, I pray You would remove any obstacle, any hindrance in their path and help them to come and to do that. God, You have called all of us as believers to be busy at work making disciples sharing the good news of God's grace. That is truly a work that we do till Jesus comes, a work from which we get no rest because it is the reason that we are here. But God, as we work to put food on the table, as we work to keep our house and our family going, Lord, we grow weary and we need that rest. And I pray you would help us to take that more seriously and to be able to live our lives, even the smallest minute of our lives, according to your principles, the way you created us to be, God. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak and move in our hearts, that we'd be obedient to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing? And I-